Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Awesomers.com podcast series episode number 66. And today we are doing another Backtalk Live episode. And this is where we join some members of the community live. Uh, if you want to find the community, you can go to Facebook and find the Awesomers.com Facebook page. There's also the Awesomers.com professional or Amazon professional sellers group, which you can join. And this allows you to do a little bit of interaction and a little bit of socializing, maybe some, some Q&A on a uh, regular basis where the community can help you out. And, you know, there's over 5,000, I don't remember, 5,700 members of that so forth. And that's been going a couple years, even before the Awesomers podcast kicked off. And part of the purpose was just to help people in a free way and, and to, you know, give them an opportunity to ask questions and help each other as well. Uh, and I should tell you, just as a matter of uh, interest, that that particular group has almost 2,000 banned people from the group. Because when somebody comes and they show up and they're just self-serving or they're mean or they're just like, hey, I can get you uh, Black Hat reviews or any other kind of skullduggery or tomfoolery, we just ban them. We, we, we don't bother. We don't have time to say, hell no, follow the rules. Did you read the rules? Please agree to the rules. We just ban people if they can't behave in a professional way. And so I, I want you to go there to that website if you're interested and take a part in the community. And just go to Facebook, search for awesomers.com, Amazon Professional Sellers Group, or any variation thereof should, should help you find it. So again, here in episode 66, it's a Backtalk Live episode, and we talk about some of the current events, some of the news items that are out there. Uh, you know, we tend to touch on China, so we hear a little bit about China. We tend to talk a little bit about state sales tax and, and what the ramifications are for that, just as a, as a news item basis, a, a interest, kind of ad hoc interest stories, and other things that we think are interesting to e-commerce entrepreneurs and Amazon sellers in particular. Now, all you have to do, again, is go to awesomers.com 66 to find relevant show notes and details and perhaps any of the links that we discussed throughout today's episode. Hey, everybody. It's Steve Simonson. We're back again with an awesomers.com podcast. Let me just move the mic a little closer. And uh, we're going to talk today. This is episode number 66, by the way. So as you're listening live here to us, uh, this, is, this is in the future. And yes, I do have a time machine. And so uh, with episode 66, all you'll have to do once this goes live on the uh, inner, inner webs or inner tubes, I don't know what they are, uh, you just go to awesomers.com 66 to get the show notes, details, and even a transcript 
of all of the things we discussed today. So uh, before we jump into to questions, and I have some questions that people have already submitted ahead of time, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the news items that I think are important. Uh, and they're interesting to me, and I think they have the potential to be impactful to e-commerce businesses in general and Amazon-centric businesses specifically. And so we're going to talk through some of those things just briefly, and, and I welcome some of your feedback uh, for the live uh, guys here as well and gals. So first of all, uh, hello, uh, Facebook is over there. Hi, Achilles. And uh, Zoom is over there. And as always, I don't know if we're upside down or right side up, but uh, we'll, we'll have the Zoom piece of the puzzle available later uh, in the future. So the first thing, I think a lot of people have already noticed this article. In fact, if you're not paying attention to this news article, uh, that broke in the last, uh, I would say the middle of September uh, from the Wall Street Journal, basically uh, doing an expose on something that we have known, and I think most people assumed was happening for a long time, and that is that um, there are bribes and other dirty, rotten scoundrels constantly flowing around, particularly in China. So Amazon has significant offices and footprint in China, and some of the mid-level and presumably even high-level people have access to uh, things like reviews. They have access to uh, all kinds of different uh, data points, like your competitor sales. So not only can they say reviews, they can see customer information. And the, the journal did a very nice uh, job, and Laura Stevens, she's quite good at this. Uh, and I think she's got a particular uh, talent at kind of helping articulate what some of the weird things that are happening in the Amazon ecosystem. And so these uh, dirty, rotten scoundrels are literally you know, offering to, to take away a negative review for some set amount of money. And it, it ranged from, you know, 80 to $200. So if, if you couldn't get the review, re, you know, uh, removed through the, the normal course of business, you know, asking the customer, trying to improve the experience and, and then trying to earn a better rating, then they would just pay somebody to get rid of it. And that just goes to show the power of a negative review. And if you think about how those reviews are so extraordinarily impactful to your conversion rate, you can understand how this stuff kind of gets, um, I, I would say, propagated through the system. China is very well known for greasing the wheels of justice, in their view. Uh, in our case, it's greasing the wheels of skullduggery. And so it's not only them getting rid of a negative review, that's you know, part of the allegations and things that we know for sure that are happening, but it's uh, people over there selling your, your competitor sales data, like the actual sales data. They will sell you the customer contact information. And we're talking about you know, prices from $200 to $2,000. And Amazon has said that they are in fact going ahead and they are investigating this as they should, and that's an appropriate response. But reality is they should be able to figure out this stuff is happening you know, before it hits the press. And for sure, all you have to do, Amazon, if you're listening, just go and check the WeChat accounts of all of your you know, middle and upper management with the access to this data. And when you see a bunch of WeChat transactions for money going in, uh, that's a pretty good thing to investigate. There's almost no chance that you know, somebody's going to start generating hundreds or thousands of U.S. dollars per month just, just kind of on a whim. 
and uh, the, the usual suspects of who are paying, these brokers who help organize the transactions, they, they have their cut, but that's going to be a, a steady source of uh, WeChat revenue. So when you see all those types of things, uh, you definitely know uh, what's coming. Shirley says, check the velocity and dates of reviews. Of course, this is a whole uh, additional problem at Amazon, uh, which is to say often, you know, when we are launching new products, and I don't know how they're how they're doing it. I'll be honest with you. If we launch a new product, if we put in too many reviews, many of the product categories are now what I call review gated, right? There's a, a review governed. They're putting a a limit, and they're basically, in our view, they're taking this average of your product category or your product type, and they're saying the average product gets three reviews a day. And so that's all we're going to allow you to have too. So that that doesn't do uh, much for us because that means we're always kind of in a, a review hold or a review pattern, and it'll take us a long time to recruit reviews. Whereas new new Chinese companies can absolutely end up having hundreds of reviews within a period of days. And again, th that seems so easy to find. So anyway, the Wall Street Journal article I found to be very interesting, talking about bribes. Skullduggery and, and tomfoolery happening, as we all probably suspected it was, but uh, I think the Wall Street Journal did a very good job of highlighting that. Um, and, and by the way, there are a number of these black hat services operating in China, as Shirley points out, and uh, they're not good for any of us long term, obviously. So I want you guys also to pay attention to Instagram and, and Facebook at large, honestly. Uh, Instagram rolled out shopping into their stories, and you know, I'm I'm not a, a, a cool, hip millennial, so I don't understand how this, uh, you know, why people post stories and all that. But I do know this. If we can put shopping, native shopping ads in stories or in any other Instagram formatted uh, piece of content, we're going to have a higher potential chance of making an e-commerce transaction. <laughs> Hi, Brendan. It's good to see you, too. And so the point is that Instagram, in fact, has absolute... Uh, intentions to become a shopping platform, as does Facebook for that matter, as does Google. But I, I just don't want people who are particularly centric to Amazon getting so focused on Amazon that they forget that these other platforms are coming and they have the potential to be meaningful. Now, again, I know everybody's like, ah, 80-20 rule, you can only do what you can do, and, and, and that's all fine. I'm saying pay attention. You decide when it makes sense for you. But, you know, even though Amazon is the is the absolute dominating king of the hill today, that's not how it necessarily will always be. Uh, there's many cases, there are many cases of the prior 800-pound gorilla being dethroned. And I, in the past, I've given you examples of the cell phone guys. You know, very few people remember Palm Pilot, uh, unless you're old like me and Michael. Uh, sorry, Michael, threw you under the bus with me. Uh, but from Palm Pilot, nobody expected that to go away, and then BlackBerry showed up, and you know nobody could uh, touch BlackBerry, and then of course Apple showed up, and now Android's here, and and who knows what's next. So uh, the point again is there is always change. You should be on the lookout for change. Uh, all right, I do want to uh, point out. Uh, let's talk a little bit about sales taxes. I know that's everybody's favorite topic. Uh, so first of all, despite the fact that the Supreme Court made a decision in June related to the prior Quill versus North Dakota, 
they didn't change any existing law at that moment other than changing the precedent, and then they remanded that back to the lower courts uh, in South Dakota. And South Dakota more or less is sitting on that and deciding how they want to put legislation in place. Now they know the permission to, they have the permission to put in the legislation. Now they're trying to decide how to deploy that. So that in South Dakota, that is not actually law yet, uh, just for those keeping score at home. Uh, the good news is there is mumbling of legislation in the works, and I'll talk about that here in just a minute. Uh, in a recent, um, I don't even know how to describe this, this change, but an unexpected and, um, well, I'll just say it, idiotic change, uh, Washington State has decided to adopt the, the South Dakota uh, methodology. And so this, what does this mean to you? So Washington State you know, at some point earlier in the year, uh, put into place the marketplace uh, requirement that Amazon or Shopify or whomever is running the the platform of the marketplace, they collect the tax. And that sounds pretty good. uh, If you're, if you're, you know, that's only part of the problem. That doesn't take you out of the business and occupation taxes and other things. And Washington, by saying that we're going to adopt the South Dakota law, which essentially says you only have to have 200 transactions in the state of Washington or you have uh, 100,000 in sales, whichever comes first, then you have nexus with Washington, uh, so-called economic nexus. And so Washington is going to put this into place in spite of the fact they already have this marketplace law. So many of us saw this marketplace law as a potential reprieve and a potential simplification. But no, state governments, uh, in my humble opinion, are... Uh, a magical mix of incompetence with um, foolhardy concepts and, and anything negative, just throw in that word. That's how state governments operate. And uh, yes, state governments, if you're listening, I think you're stupid. Uh, okay, so the, the good news, on the federal level, there is some legislation being discussed. <coughs> Pardon me. A bipartisan effort, uh, two Republicans, two Democrats have put into place a a general piece of legislation. It is not nearly going to go through yet, but at least there's a glimmer of hope. And what this legislation says is, number one, you can't go back and attack these e-commerce guys, these small business e-commerce cross-border guys. So that's an important piece of legislation for us to pay attention to because all that retroactive action that the states are going to try to get out of you is unfair and, in my view, unlawful. Uh, the second out, yeah, Shirley says, I started out diplomatic. Uh, believe me, Shirley, I am still, despite those uh, the stronger language, I'm still quite diplomatic. If I really said what was on my mind, we would have to start bleeping and blooping the whole operation over here. So fundamentally, this legislation is a good start to say no back taxes. And also, under $10 million of sales, you don't have to comply with these interstate commerce nonsense laws. And that's really what we need to we need to see happen is something on the federal level that says, you know, some reasonable threshold. I, I, I really do think above 10 million, you can you probably have the wherewithal to start putting some of the, the tax compliance management into place. But, you know, it's not just as simple as collecting and remitting taxes, as I've talked about many times. There's there's local tax, there's inventory tax, B&O tax. You know, all kinds of crazy taxes, not to mention just the fees. You know, in California, just the registration fee every year is $800. And so it's like, ah, 800 bucks, you know, what's the difference? But 
just imagine states starting to see, you know what, let's, let's just charge these out-of-state e-commerce guys who have no votes in our state. They have, they have no ability to help impact legislation. Let's just start charging them a, a $200 or $500 or $1,000 a year registration fee and then multiply that times 45 states and you've got a big potential problem. And even that is still a smaller part of the problem. Ultimately, the problem is compliance and managing the paperwork. Now, I'll give you just a quick story. We have one of our companies that is an employment company. We have employees in a number of states. And we submitted a piece of paperwork to the state of Idaho. Now, Idaho is just absolutely just sending us all kinds of registration paperwork and all kinds of crazy, stupid pieces of paper that are not even accurate. Uh, they, they thought we started employing people two weeks earlier than we did. So they are just haranguing us and burying us with demands of paperwork, even though they just simply made a mistake that is equivalent to two weeks. And we've spent dozens of hours trying to solve it. That's the problem I'm trying to get everybody to look out for. So one final word. I want you guys to go over and take a look at Online Merchants Guild, uh, Paul Raffleson. And if you're not in the loop, go listen to awesomers.com backslash three for a very in-depth discussion about sales tax, um, a very in-depth discussion about the legality and some of the things that we can do as sellers to help fight back. And the Online Merchants Guild is working today, right now, on filing a federal injunction to put a stop to some of this stuff, which is just the first start before we try to help fund a lawsuit against the state. And we'll need somebody in California maybe more than one somebody to be the uh, the proxy for that lawsuit. But we will we want to sue the, the state and we want to help fund the lawsuit to, to basically prove that sure Wayfair, which was part of that Supreme Court case in June, they've got the wherewithal, a billion dollar plus company, they can do it. But we're little guys uh, and gals. We don't have the wherewithal. We don't have the, the time, the energy, the experience or the resources to cope with this just absolutely outrageous uh, regulatory and compliance nonsense uh, that really, again, is not relevant to us. I don't care what South Dakota says. It doesn't matter how many sale or how many packages I send to South Dakota. I'm still not using their infrastructure. Somebody, when I told them that, they're like, oh, no, you're using the roads to ship the package. And I said, well, first of all, UPS is using the roads, not me, and they pay local taxes. Secondly, gas is what funds roads, so get out of my face about uh, sales tax. And uh, anyway, I, I have no love lost for this whole thing, and it's, it hasn't got more clear, it's gotten less clear. So if you're faced with this challenge, make sure you get really good legal support, and if you're being beaten down, um, I would highly recommend talking to Paul Raffleson Law. Uh, he can help you. So uh, that's enough on sales taxes. So let's now talk about uh, somebody else's favorite subject. That's China tariffs. So just in the past um, seven days from the time we record this, in the middle of September, uh, I think it was actually September 16, 2018, the next section of tariffs on $200 billion worth of imports into the United States have been are getting a plus 10% tariff, effective September 24th. So that's an additional 10%. So somebody said to me the other day, they're like, hey, uh, mine was already 8%, so 10%, you know, what's, what's an extra two points? And it's like, no, no, you were already 8 plus 10, now you're 18. So just understand that's how the math actually works. It is not 10 total, or maybe you were 20 before and it didn't go down to 10. It's plus 10 to whatever your base tariff may have been already pre-existing. 
And that goes into effect for anything that clears customs as of September 24th. And I have to tell you, so uh, some of the stuff that we have going, uh, my team is watching somewhere, I, I don't even know the exact container count, but somewhere between 60 and 80 containers that, that are floating around or have just shipped. And we're trying, we're hoping that they clear customs as many as possible before the 24th. So it's not based on the ship date. It's not based on the arrival date. It's based on the date that the um, issue is submitted for customs clearance. So if you don't already know that, that's, that's how you calculate your exposure. Uh, one little fun footnote uh, is that on January 1st, this same set of tariffs will go up to 25%, so plus 25%. So if you're at 5% today, you're going to go plus 10 immediately, which means you're at 15. But on January 1st, if you're at 5 today, you'll go to plus 25. That means you'll be at 30%. Now, again, this is all just part of the, uh, the, the negotiation and, and kind of this. I don't actually think it's a trade war. I think it's just a trade negotiation and dispute. Uh, it's a pain. It's a headache. But that's life. And we just have to kind of move on. So... Number one, understand your dates. And by the way, this, this $200 billion covers about 40% of what is imported in the U.S. And I suspect if China retaliates on these uh, tariffs as they, as they have said that they would, then we will just uh, – the, the U.S. will then just slap a tariff on the rest of the Chinese imports. And <laughs> Shirley's right. It is, a, uh, it is a little bit of a pissing contest. The, the reality is you know, China can issue – more, you know, matching us for tariffs, but we import like five times more than they do uh, from the U.S. So it's it's a losing game. China has also said that they will slow down the exports. They'll they'll put more pollution controls on the factories that are exporting to the U.S. And they might even put some slower exporting. And of course, the the factories we talked to in China, they're terrified about that. Uh, you know, they're and and that would hurt Chinese companies. So I think it's a lot of bluster. I don't think this is going to last years. I know everybody, if you read the press, they're talking every single day about this is buckle down for the long run. This is going to take forever. And I think that just sells more newspapers and it it uh, it, it sells more um, – oh, nerds. So all of these things, they sell more newspapers. They sell more things. And uh, for those who are waiting in the uh, Zoom room, my apologies on keeping you hung out there. Uh, in fact, my view was slightly blocked. I blame Facebook. So um, hopefully these angles aren't too uh, weird. So fundamentally, everybody, my, my point is when you think about China, when you think about this ongoing trade dispute, know that I think it's going to take months, not years to resolve. And a lot of the press guys are going to you know, try to make more out of this. And of course, China's got to find a way to uh, save face while they're doing this. But just know this. It's, it, it's a pain. It's going to get worse before it gets better, right? The, the old uh, uh, saying is, uh, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. And I want to just remind everybody that's kind of the way things work in the real world. So uh, if you have questions, by the way, if you're on um, Zoom, it's easiest for me to see the chat questions. So put those in. If you're on Facebook, then uh, go ahead and you can try to put in there and I'll try to uh, keep a flow of consciousness on those. So I do have some pre-submitted questions already, and I see some some stuff in here. Uh, <laughs> Troy, thank you for those uh, comments. Uh, now, 
Oh, so Troy is talking about getting beat down by Arizona every week, it looks like, uh, related to sales tax. Is that right, Troy? Yeah. So, you know, here's what I would say. Uh, hi, Stephen, uh, up in Canada. I would say if you're getting beaten down by a state, now this is, this is not legal advice, so everybody can just ignore this, but here's what I do if I get these things. Uh, I ignore them. And I ignore them because all they're trying to do is entrap you. They're, they're just trying to get you to, and again, for everybody who's just joining, we're talking about sales tax enforcement letters. California, Washington, New York, Arizona, whoever, they're sending you letters. And, and really, this is just them trying to uh, get a funnel and you know the, the top of the funnel is get somebody to respond. If it's a significant amount of money or the, the pressure is significant, then retain sales tax counsel. And again, if you go to awesomers.com slash three, you can listen to a very lengthy but instructive discussion about it. Uh, Troy points out he's already, in fact, uh, paying tax there. This is, this is one of those side effects. But now... Every city, every county potentially in Arizona, they're going to want him to have a little business license. And I've used this example of Tempe, Arizona in the past. And I'm going to, I'm going to jump back into sales tax just for a minute. So Tempe sends a, a friend of mine. Uh, she gets a, a little love note that says, hey, um, we see that you're registered in the state of Arizona collecting taxes. And great news, uh, you had a sale in Tempe. So send us $50 registration. And she calls him and says, hey, um, you know, I got your letter, but, you know, I only sold a $15 silicone spatula, <laughs> let's say. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, uh, uh, cool story, bro, uh, but uh, we still want our 50 bucks. And that's the point about all of this stuff that, that the legislators are just simply ignorant or incompetent or uncaring about. You, you know, legislators, you pick your own descriptor there. Uh, but they don't know what's up, and they, it's not going to be good for us uh, either way. Okay, so I'm going to move this over here so I can see this. So forgive me as I move around. i got a few screens going. All right, so uh, if, you, if you didn't, uh, Brendan has got uh, a nice, yeah, thank you. I, I tried to throw in a little humor for you, Brendan. Uh, if you haven't caught the top of the show, make sure you, when, when this comes out, awesomers.com slash 66 that you're able to go take a look. It probably won't be released till early October or, yeah, I don't really know the date. Uh, too many things to look up. All right, so let's, let's take a break on tariffs. Let's take a break on sales tax. And let's talk about a fun little thing, which is that DHL is starting a cross-border COD service. So what does this mean? Now, if you ship international today, uh, and I don't know how many of you guys do this directly, but just know that that could be in your future. DHL is a very prominent international carrier. So if you're doing cross-border trade, this is a very common thing. But a lot of people don't realize many countries, particularly in Asia and the Middle East, and probably Africa and South America for that matter, they operate on a cash-on-delivery basis, a COD basis. So for anybody in America, you in the 80s and 90s and perhaps even today, you heard the uh, infomercial type commercials that would be on and they'd be like, you know, call 1-800-whatever and they would even accept COD shipments. Today in America, there's no chance that anybody operates on COD. It's like you either have a credit card, you make your purchase, we get the money and we're done. Uh, that's how it works in most developed countries, uh, US, Australia, UK, all across Europe really, Canada as well. Very few people are using COD, but in fact, in China, including today, and especially in the recent years, if you ordered a refrigerator, 
they literally would wait to see the refrigerator show up and then do a, a cash on delivery kind of transaction. And that's one of the reasons why Amazon has struggled in China is they, you know, they, that's not how they do business. They didn't really understand that. So now DHL is saying we see e-commerce as being very, very important. And so we want to, you know, put a lot of emphasis on e-commerce. And so one thing that we can do to add value is add a COD service for cross-border, which is, that's crazy. Now, one of the things it does, uh, and this is, again, this is probably for the better long term, but, you know, a lot of people who are shipping out of the, the country now, whichever direction, from China to, you know, Europe or EU, um, from China to the U.S. or even U.S. outward, a lot of people go, well, you know, I'm just going to put a valuation that is under the customs minimum, and that way I don't have to do as much paperwork, uh, which, by the way, is illegal. I wouldn't recommend it. By using the COD service, you will uh, be stating the actual value that you intend to collect. Therefore, all the appropriate duties and taxes and so forth will be collected. That's, that's a big deal, uh, and I think people should pay attention to it. As you start thinking about crowdfunding or Instagram or all these things, there's going to be a lot more cross-border trade. And if we have an easy way to execute on it, uh, like using a, a DHL service like this, I think there's potential for it. So anyway, keep your eyes on that. Um, I see Lisa ask a question. And she asks, uh, how do we – okay, I'll come back to that question, Lisa. I think it's a very, very good question. And we'll uh, talk a little bit more about that in detail once we get into a, a, the, one of the next sections. Uh, if anybody is on Zoom, go ahead. They can throw in the question in chat. And if you try it on Facebook, I'll try to try to see it as it goes by. Uh, okay, so one of the other things I, I said that we want to talk about is quarter four, right? Where Q4 is upon us. This is the, the peak time, the busiest time. And it's where 60% of sales happen on Amazon. And so if you are trying to think about Q4, one of the things I want you to pay close attention to if you have this opportunity is the schedule for lightning deals, uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday, uh, best deals if you have access to that. And it's really important if, if you want to submit promotions that you need to do them now. So go to your promotions homepage. Um, it, you can do this at Vendor Central or Seller Central depending on the type of seller you are. And I think... Uh, let me see if I can find the, the deadlines here. Yeah, your deal has to be approved by September 21st to get into one of those Black Fridays or Cyber Mondays. So if you uh, – hi, Mohammed, Nice to see you. If you, in fact, have not submitted or, or are waiting to submit, you are literally down to the last couple days. So September 21, that's, that's a hot-button issue. Please get on it. If you don't have access to that, you know, try to find somebody who can uh, get you access uh, within seller support or whatever. Uh, per, but if you've ever done a submission in the past, you can um, you can use that email as, as a, a way to submit. Doesn't mean they'll guarantee that they'll uh, take it, but that's one method. Uh, Troy points out something important. Let's talk about it. It says he hasn't run a best deal in a long time because the last time he did, the best deals forced down the lightning deal price. He wants to know if that's still the case. Uh, so I think that's a fair question and something that all of us should be cognizant of. Every time we do a promotion that, that is um, sticky in some way, whether it's lightning deals or best deals, it definitely is a problem when it comes to establishing that new uh, quote-unquote uh, low price. 
And it's supposed to be a 90-day trailing window, but sometimes I think they look back farther. Uh, we have talked specifically to the promotions department, Troy, about this idea that their own promotions shouldn't force each other down. That it's, you know, it, it is um, not a fair thing to say, you know, here's a best deal promotion and then that is the new point that you have to discount 15 or 20% for a lightning deal. I don't know if they fixed it yet or not, but if, if you put it in and it's rejected, I would appeal and try to get to somebody in the promotions department and illustrate that point. The other thing that we complained about uh, voraciously, and this is when we were physically, this is a, when the Catalyst 88 group was at an Amazon event, we said hijackers are also forcing down the price. And we, we asked them to disconnect the ASIN price from the seller price. You know, if you have a hijacker, if you're selling for $25, a hijacker jumps on for 10 bucks. Now they're like, well, now you got to sell it for 15 or 20% below the $10, which is idiotic and, and ridiculous. So um, that's, that's, that's how I uh, view the situation. I don't have a perfectly clear answer, Troy, but I would say if you run a best deal and that you find that is forcing down your price, then you should do kind of manual appeals and push them to get it fixed. They recognize the inconsistency and they have empathy for us as well. So last word on Q4 before I start diving into some Q&A. Uh, and don't worry, Lisa, I'll come back to your question. Okay, so first of all, um, I see Shirley, you have a question in here too. And because Facebook is rolling uh, these things by, I'm going to tackle Shirley's first and then come over to Lisa's and some of the other ones that I have already pre-submitted. So Shirley asked uh, this question. Can you talk about the Amazon giveaway promotion? How does it work exactly? <coughs> Pardon me. So... Uh, an Amazon giveaway is, you know, you can go down on the ASIN page, on the product detail page, and you can find something that says uh, giveaway or Amazon giveaway, whatever it says. You click on that, and then you can decide how many units you want to give away, and you can decide the type of giveaway, whether you're going to just give it away to the first three people or a random number or a sweepstakes basis. And actually, there are very subtle ways of setting that up to get kind of the best exposure uh, for the, the lowest giveaways, or if you are going to give it away, to make sure that you get a high amount of uh, awareness building, right? So um, the way giveaways works is you're driving some behavior. Go watch this YouTube video, and over time, I'm sure they're going to get rid of external things. But go tweet this tweet or uh, follow this uh, Twitter account, do this YouTube thing. It's You can require this action to decide if Amazon is going to... Uh, enter them in the giveaway. That's their that's their requirement to get into the giveaway. It can be effective in certain ways because it, let's just say you decide you're going to give away 30 units. Amazon charges whoever is doing the giveaway for those 30 units immediately, then does the giveaway and refunds if they didn't give them all away or ships them out if they did give them all away. A couple downsides. You don't necessarily get to... Um, you don't get to control if that giveaway is successful or not. You don't get to know who the customers are who got the stuff. Uh, there, you know, there's some downsides to it, but ultimately, I think that the BSR bump, the awareness bump, and then ideally, you're driving some tangible action with the the action steps they allow. Facebook, uh, not Facebook views, but uh, YouTube views, and I'm sure it's going to go to Amazon Video views 
So you can show like an Amazon video review of your product or an open boxing your product, and they have to watch that. It used to be for two minutes. I can't remember if they've updated it now, but they have to watch these things. So you get to make a, a concrete brand impression if you do it right. Uh, a pro tip, by the way, if you're running these things and you're working with influencers, you know you you can coordinate a giveaway with very few units given away if you do it right. And you can tell the influencer, hey, I will make sure that you get at least 3,000 views on this, uh, on this video. And they're all legit views because they're coming from Amazon. And influencers think you're a hero. So sometimes you can trade that and go, hey, you do an open box for me for free, and I'll make sure it gets at least 3,000 views. And they'll all be legitimate reviews. So it's a, it's a thing. Uh, and it can work very well, especially for emer emerging influencers, people who are trying to make a name for themselves. So forgive my hand here as I scroll. Uh, Becky asks, what department do you need to deal with hijackers driving down your price? So ultimately, that's going to have to get to the lightning deals department or the promotions department. And you have to find somebody who uh, understands that, hey, that wasn't my price. You guys are basing this on the wrong price. The automated lightning deal system will not tell you what you need to see in an uh, easy basis. I'm sure you already know that. So uh, it's not necessarily easy to get there, but that's the way it works. Uh, Brendan uh, points out that you can set up a, a discount code, which you can offer as an upsell after the giveaway, both uh, for anybody who's rejected, they didn't win on the giveaway. You can, you can, in fact, have a little coupon code and promotion. And now, actually, Amazon is giving some statistics based on the pull-through of those things. Um, so thank you for that, Brendan. So I answer Becky, Shirley, okay. Sorry, my fat fingers are in the way on the Facebook side. All right, so over here, uh, Lisa asks, how do you manage your pay-per-click campaigns? And she goes on to say, do you manually do this or do you do it as a service? You do use a service. And I will tell you that most of the time we use a service. Um, so first, I'm inherently lazy, so let's get that on the table. And second, uh, I'm also, I don't wanna be an expert in every category. And even though I understand Amazon pay-per-click probably better than the average person, I'm definitely going to defer to the, the people who are in the trenches day to day. So one of the services that we often recommend, you know, the, the fellow who runs that service, it's generally for a little larger uh, companies, but, you know, he used to be the sponsored products leader at Amazon. All the people who work for him came from sponsored products. They get it. They understand stuff. Uh, when we want to be in a beta, we're in a beta, right? So we get access to to help Amazon so they can help us. And uh, so that's, that's one of the reasons why I use a service. If you're going to do it manually, uh, I would highly recommend um, uh, using some software called Zon.Tools. Uh, Stefano Starkle put this together. It will help you get a get a handle on this thing and it's it's something that uh we should have in the empower uh, service so lisa goes on to ask which pay-per-click service to use you can go check out marketplaceclicks.com uh, i don't know if mike is taking on new clients right now they have a pretty substantial and uh, i would say successful agency i i do want to give you guys a, a couple pieces of advice. Number one, the Empower e-commerce cooperative is where I'm going to do all of my future referrals because we, uh, any of the people, any of the relationships that I have, I feed into them and then all the people at Empower do all the work to vet it, try to help work on a, a good deal 
and, um, and, and trying to uh, not just vet the suppliers, but make sure that the offers are clear, make sure that everybody understands how it works. So in the very near future, you know, almost every recommendation I have will have to go through the Empower e-commerce cooperative because it's a more civilized process, if you will. So if you haven't checked out Empowery, go to Empowery.com, check it out. It's an e-commerce cooperative, which means the members own it. It's a nonprofit. Uh, there's a little Scooby snack of fee in there, but all those fees can be earned back uh, from rebates from suppliers. So it's a really important program, uh, and I highly encourage you guys taking a look at that. Uh, okay, so I think I've handled Lisa. Carl jumped on here, and he's got a question that is... I can't see the full amount of the question. When it says see more, it just pops up with a little smiley face. All right, so ultimately Carl is asking, you know, what what's going on with the major indexing problem at Amazon uh, right now, and, and is there any solution? So I don't think that they've solved it yet, and I think a lot of it has to do with Amazon um, dramatically changing some of the things that they're doing. And I've talked about this in the past, but I want to reiterate this. In my conversations at Amazon, we, we, we refer to changes that we see in our particular product or category or whatever, and we refer to it like that somehow Amazon-wide, right? Hey, I'm in whatever, um, iPhone cases or kitchen spatulas, and, and now you're breaking the reviews into individual reviews instead of rolling them up under the parent. Why is that? Why is Amazon changing that? But then somebody else will say, oh, in automotive, that's not the way it is. I, I want to just remind everybody that Amazon has data scientists and has you know, people in charge of every single category. So there's a data science person for you know, probably boat category, you know, whatever's in the boating category, accessories or whatever, for the outdoor category. And those data science people can change between the categories at their own discretion, multiple times a day, by the way. So this idea that we all have that things are static or things are consistent, it, it's so much worse than you think it is, honestly, in terms of our ability to understand the, the levels of changes and the controls and the things like that. So to, to answer Carl's question, this, this indexing problem seems to be definitely more widespread. I think in some ways they're purging some of their caching that they've done. And if you guys don't know what that means, to make searching work really well, you cache stuff and then uh, it updates uh, semi-frequently. Uh, the index will update and uh, be still fast acting. And I think they're purging some things in the same way that they're purging reviews. Uh, Amazon has this uh, I don't know, awareness that people are gaming the system uh, and they don't like it. And uh, I think all of us should pay close attention to this, this reality that, you know, a, you know, Amazon wants to have a clean ecosystem. And as I, as I tell them every single time I talk to them, I'm like, you're killing the dolphins. We're the dolphins. We're the good guys. While you're trying to take on all the bad fish, all these you know, the, the companies, whether it's Ukraine or China, that show up with 800, you know, reviews in two days, this is not a, a natural organic situation. This is highly manipulative. And that's the people that should be squashed instead of, you know, squashing all of us uh, along with it. 
I can tell you that Amazon is listening. So because it's such a large company, remember everybody, over 650,000 employees. You know, when we go into Amazon and we talk to them, again, great empathy, great people. But they literally, when we tell them, hey, this is happening and it's happening widespread, they're like, no idea. Well, they had no idea. And they're in departments that you would think would know. You definitely know more than the average Amazon person working there. You definitely do. That said, we don't have the buttons that we can just uh, make the changes that, that we feel need to be changed. So we have to then convince them and influence them. And one of the ways to do that, I've shared this before, but I encourage you, if you haven't already, go write a Dear John letter, uh, empowery.com slash Dear John. You can see the Dear John letter uh, there. And you can see an example that I wrote. And really, this is us to say, Amazon, here's what's coming in the future. We're going we're gonna to break up with you if you keep treating us like crap and we don't think we can make money or we think what, that there's a better alternative. And Amazon executives know if there was a better alternative today, sellers would be leaving in mass. If you agree with me, go ahead and put yes in the comments or the chat. Just see if you check my water here. If you had an alternative that was powerful that you felt that you could put against Amazon, you would definitely at least be on that platform in a big way and consider leaving Amazon altogether, I suspect. Let me know. I see uh, some yeses coming in, 100%. So this is the point, everybody. If, if we, we can only make an alternative when we kind of work together, that's part of the point of empower. If you band together, then you have influence, then you have political power, then you have the, the opportunity to say to them, you know what, uh, you know, we're sick and tired of this and we're not going to take it anymore. And believe it or not, they really are listening even today. And again, if you haven't done it, go empowery.com slash Dear John and get on the ball. This is an important initiative and it is a true chance for you to speak directly with Amazon executives. Not just like a passive, oh, they got a copy of this email. I wonder if they'll read it. Some of the people in Amazon, in their seller experience department, are taking these letters and they're putting them up on the wall right next to executive boardrooms. This is not graffiti, by the way. This is invited by Amazon. They're taking these big letters, and by the way, they're putting them right next to the hero stories, right? So we have a lot of our members, um, especially Catalyst 88 members, they have their pictures, you know, big posters of, hey, look at this success story. You know, they used to do this, and now uh, they have a, a wonderful life and a wonderful business. Amazon, we're heroes. And they, they, Amazon employees, rightfully, walk around high-fiving themselves, right? You know, hey, we're heroes, huh? You know, you get your wings yet? We're, we're, we're that awesome. But we're trying, and Amazon actively is trying to balance the story by saying, you know, it is not all rainbows and unicorns. Uh, there's some, some things that are happening here that are unacceptable and, I think, in some ways, unintentional. Again, dolphins are being caught in the net. Save the dolphins. All right, so I know that was a bit of a rant. I can't give you a clear answer, Carl, except to say I expect it to settle out. There are a couple couple little tweaks that appear to be working, but not enough data for me to share yet. Um, and I, but Amazon, as they continue to get through their split testing, I think it'll, it'll get back to normal. But expect things to be different. That's, that's the fundamental takeaway you guys should have. You know, what worked... Four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, two months ago may not work two weeks from now. And Amazon is really, really active trying to make sure they're not being uh, hoodwinked. 
Okay, so I had another question. Now, if you guys have questions on Facebook, get them in. If you have questions on Zoom, get them in. Uh, I'm going to read some of the questions that, that were pre-submitted, and we'll get through a few more of these, and then we'll tie it off here in about uh, 10, 15 minutes. So uh, one, of the, one of the questions that came in uh, ahead of time said, uh, hey, how do you guys check if a product is patented? And <laughs> I've seen lots of answers to this question, and somebody goes, hey, uh, there's a course on Udemy, and you know, for $8, I became a patent expert. And uh, you're welcome, Carl. Uh, I appreciate what you do as well. Uh, I, I can just tell you, you're not going to be a patent expert for eight bucks, and you're probably not going to be a patent expert even after four years of law school. You're going to be a patent expert after you practice patents for years and years and years after you know law school and all that. So unless you have years and years of experience, I highly recommend going to an expert and having them check into it for you. If if you truly believe the product has potential. Now, sometimes people go, well, I don't know if it has potential, so I don't know if I should spend any money. Uh, you know, it's time to take a hard look and decide if that's a real business that you're trying to build or just some little passive thing. And if it's a passive, you know, ah, let's just give it a go and see if it works, then maybe your patent risk is not that high. But if it's a serious thing, I would go... Uh, to Rich Goldstein, and he's in one of the Awesomer podcasts. Uh, Spencer, if you could find that, put the link in there, uh, that would be helpful. But Rich is a brilliant patent guy. So he, he was trained as an engineer. Very few attorneys, by the way, are trained as engineers. So he's a trained engineer, and he's an attorney, and he's an entrepreneur. He's my kind of guy for sure. And this is somebody that you can trust. This is somebody who gets it. And he or his firm, uh, to put it uh, properly, they will be able to give you a quick analysis or a quick understanding of, hey, here's how much it's going to cost you to find out this answer. Are you interested or not? And then you have assurance. You have, you know, they're not going to make a mistake. And if they do, they have some culpability. So they're going to do the right thing. Uh, the other thing, if you really want to do cursory searches for patents, uh, that's easy enough to do. But, you know, if it's a serious product, I would highly recommend using a, a, an experienced patent firm. And I'll give you one quick example. There was a shelving unit that we wanted to build. I was in the furniture business, and we wanted to build a shelving unit, which was a no-tools assembly. And so we noticed that they, some guys had this product out there, and they had a patent on it, and we're like, oh, nerds, you know, we don't know what we're doing here. Uh, you know, how do we do this? So I paid a patent firm to tell me how to work around that patent. And that's the other lesson I want to give you guys. And, and thank you, Spencer. A really good reason to go listen to awesomers.com slash 21 with Rich, where we talk about just because you have a patent doesn't mean that you're not violating somebody else's patent, by the way. Let that sink in for a minute. Just because you have a patent doesn't mean that patent doesn't require somebody else's patent to be sold. And a lot of people think once you have a patent, you're home free. But uh, as a quick case... If you, if you sell snow tires, you still have to pay the patent guy who has the patent on tires, uh, just as a, a simple example. So patents are complex. The Udemy $8 course is not going to get the job done. Uh, I'm going to skip that question. I'm going to let you guys get any, any other questions. I'm going to try to get to a couple of these others that I uh, feel more, uh, well, let's say passionate about. <laughs> so one, this is one of those questions I'm likely to rant on. So somebody said, hey, do I really need to inspect every shipment in China? The first couple I, you know, that I inspected, they didn't, the inspector didn't find anything. So it feels like a waste of money, right? And 
And you know, this is one of those times I just want to, I just want to shake you. I just want to pick you up and shake you. Uh, I swear to God, I've been doing business in China a long time. And, and regularly I am schooled by people who say, well, I've had six shipments from China and I haven't had one problem. Uh, or I've been doing business in China for, you know, four and a half years. And, you know, I have yet to have a single problem. And this is the way we always do stuff. And so I'm, I'm fine to be wrong. As my Axiom Zero says, I don't know nothing about nothing. Just assume I'm wrong. But here's what I can tell you for doing business in China for more than 15 years, tens of thousands of containers and, uh, and, and countless money spent in inspections. It will always be required to inspect your shipments. The minute you stop inspecting, you will see an immediate quality fade because the factory knows you're not watching them. And if you don't know what quality fade is, go read the book, as I've recommended before, Poorly Made in China by Paul Midler. That will tell you how China operates. Every second that you are not there in the factory with your eyes on them or having a purchase order with very specific um, specifications, and I'm talking about weights and densities and, and all kinds of things. Every one of those things, the Chinese factory will find some way to increase their profitability and their efficiency. They'll find some way. And that's okay because that's what they do. You know, it's, it's not okay from a quality perspective. It's not okay from a customer service perspective. But it's okay because that's the way it is. Your job as the brand owner and as the, the product builder and so forth you have to keep them honest. And they're far more likely to stay honest and stay on top of it if you have inspections as a regular part of your um, process. The minute, I'm telling you, the minute you stop doing inspections, you will watch the quality fade. And at first, you won't quite notice it. You know, maybe the, the package was a little different. Um, and maybe a little lighter weight or whatever. We had one time a factory, they changed the, the exterior plastic on our cartons, we had the, the nice cartons wrapped in this nice uh, low-gloss satin-finished plastic, non-skid, really nice. When you felt it, you're like, ah, oh, this feels nice. And even though it was against spec, they changed the spec, and that these packages would slide like they were on wheels. It was so terrible. And, um, you know, before it left, we had them replace all of those packages on like 10,000 uh, cartons that replace the packages. In other cases, we've had, you know, some sort of wax overspray um, that was on the the product. We made them hand clean, you know, uh, you know, countless. I, I don't even remember, you know, two containers worth of product before they sent it. And this is very experienced factories with doing millions of dollars of business with them. They still make mistakes. So believe me, you definitely want to pay attention. And Spencer, thank you. Uh, upcoming this Saturday, we're releasing my uh, my extended rant on the book Poorly Made in China, a book review style, <laughs> and you can check that if you feel like uh, if you feel like uh, you're doing things. So one one other little note, I saw this on a, a Facebook group recently, and this is somebody trying to help. So I'm not, you know, I'm not punching them in the face. I'm just uh, kind of hitting them in the shoulder, going, "Hey, buddy, you know, pay attention here." And this is what he says: "Hey, guys." If you need a simple inspection of quality, packaging, label, etc., just ask your forwarder to do it. Hashtag save money tips. And uh, again, I just want to shake you because this is the worst possible advice you could get. And by the way, feel free to ignore any of my advice. It's free anyway. I'll give you your money back. But when you see advice like that, please, 
please don't pay attention. A freight forwarder couldn't care less about your labels or your packing or your service or any of that stuff. All they care about is the product ready to go when they said, get it in the container, let's get it shipped. That's how they make their money. Saving money, right? This is, this is you know, penny wise, pound foolish. Saving money with that kind of stuff is terrible long term. You will have far more problems. And if I told you that the count of times where we made mistakes and we paid tens of thousands in claims or had to recall tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of product fixes, it, it doesn't hurt to pay a couple hundred bucks for an inspection. Um, and by the way, Empowery has uh, laboratories in China being vetted, inspection companies in China being vetted, um, uh, trading companies that will can even offer you credit uh, at a reasonable uh, volume level. So again, uh, there's a little plug for Empowery. By the way, I had to buy into Empowery. I had bought my share. Uh, you know, I paid my admission. I um, I'm just like anybody else. I don't own Empowery. Uh, I just am funding it uh, to try to get it going. Uh, okay, so somebody else asked, um, and this will be uh, last couple questions here. Um, does anyone use more than one vendor for the same product SKU? And then they go on to ask, will the customer notice any variations? Now, first of all, if you are going to produce in more than one factory the same exact SKU, your customer should not notice the variations if you're doing the job right. If they're following the specifications, if they're doing the packaging uh, exactly the same, the size of the specs, you shouldn't have any variations for them to notice. And I could tell you unequivocally that large companies will, they'll fork their uh, bifurcate, if you will, their production between large companies so that they're not in, you know, subject to just one factory, you know, if that factory burns down. And by the way, I've had more than one factory burn down in my uh, history. And when that factory's gone, it's gone. So large companies will often use a hedge move and bifurcate their supply chain to have multiple factories making the same skew. You should not notice it if your specs and your inspections are done right. Now, the question is whether or not you should do that. First of all, I like the idea of redundancy. If you, I know a lot of people, especially when you get with your first supplier, second supplier, maybe you've actually gone through a few suppliers, but you found one that you kind of get along with and you like the sales rep. Now, they will treat you like they're your buddy, right? Hey, you know, we've got a relationship here and, and so forth, and that's great. But just know that's part of the manipulation that's happening. And, and I still would recommend a hedge move. So how does that work? That means you take some production samples from time to time, maybe once a year, and you take them to other factories and you get other price quotes, right? So this is a way to keep your existing factory honest on price and it helps you get other guys up to speed. You can even have them make samples for you. You pay for the sample. But if you need to make that change, then you have other factories ready to go. And this can be very, very additive if you have high velocity moves and you need to make a change. So if you don't have high velocity, don't worry about it. Don't add the complexity. But if you do and it's something significant, think about this as a hedge move. This is an important thing to consider. Um, and again, your customers shouldn't notice product variations for two reasons. One, they don't have the other product from the other factory to compare to generally, unless it's a, a repeat purchase. And secondly, if your specs and inspections are right, there should be no variation to begin with. Um, okay, so last, last word here. Somebody says they seriously need uh, to optimize their international Amazon accounts. 
if you're selling internationally and you don't speak all of the languages as a native speaker, which you can only have one native tongue uh, generally, not uh, there's some exceptions, I suppose, in, in many of the countries. You know, if you grew up in Switzerland, you're probably going to speak French and German, for example. Uh, uh, Holland, you know, has a lot of, you know, French and Dutch and German and so forth. But for those, if you're really not an expert in the, the languages, I highly recommend getting somebody who can can help you with those languages and has native translators to help you with all the things, titles, listings, bullet points, keywords. If you don't do that, you're I think you're you're at a disadvantage. And I'll give you a quick example. At one point, our Italian uh, efforts for a brand that I've since sold, Italy was beating Germany. And there is no reason in the world Italy should ever beat Germany in terms of sales. But it was beating Germany's, in our opinion, because the Italian translation was spectacular and very, very good. And our German translation was spectacularly very, very bad. So the opposite. Uh, the opposite of good, as I like to say. So the point is, if you don't have your house in order, get that right. There's lots of services that do it. Empowery is vetting uh, a company right now. It's about to go live. And uh, we really believe in them. They're based in Europe. They understand all the European languages. Uh, there's, of course, similar opportunities for Japan and so forth as well. So definitely take the time. Remember that native speakers will know the colloquialisms. They'll know all the little ways of saying things that you may not pick up on. And if you just do literal translation, like, you know, if you just say translate cell phone, but in Germany they call it a handy, right? That's, that's the name of a cell phone, a handy. You wouldn't know that. You know, you start throwing handy on cell phone stuff in America, you might have some problems. Uh, you know, we got handies on sale over here at Amazon. That's going to be uh, that's going to be an issue. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go uh, Wikipedia that thing. So my point is, as always, local language matters. Uh, please be committed enough to the market opportunity to spend a little bit of money. And that's probably my final word. Don't forget to spend a little money on your business. So for those listening live, you already uh, got the benefit of this. Uh, for those listening later on the recording, this is awesomers.com, episode number 66. All you have to do is go to awesomers.com slash 66, and you'll see the show notes, details, transcript. And anybody who's live with us, if you, if you weren't here in the beginning, you'll be able to find all the details and so forth uh, uh, from the top of the show. So any last word for questions? Uh, any, any final words from the audience out there? I've got uh, a bunch of people on both of these screens. I'm just going to wait just to make sure I'm at your service. All right. Oh, probably been discussed. Uh, getting a review band listed. Uh, that's, a, that's a problem for another day, Troy. Uh, there's been some modest progress on that, but it is not easy and it's not getting easier. Um, and by the way, if you had a bunch of reviews uh, destroyed and it's destroying your business, get in touch with me on Facebook. Uh, we're, we're going to the press uh, for people who have, really have high impact. And we're trying to do, you know, some people on the record, some people uh, off the record. But this, this is a large publication. Um, they're willing to do a story as long as the story is compelling. Obviously, the editor makes the final call, but we have the writers interested. And this would be a very high profile. And our intent by going to the press is to say, Amazon, this is having a massive material impact to the economic viability of our lives, our businesses, and you're, not, you're paying lip service or you're ignoring us or whatever. 
this needs fixed and it needs done in a proper way. So if you think you've had reviews unfairly um, beaten down, please contact me. There's, there's a little group that started. Uh, there's a couple of us talking about it, and we've already had discussions with several publications, and a very large, nationally prominent publication has expressed interest. So please don't hesitate to communicate and get on board with that. So thank you again, everybody. I hope you uh, uh, join us on the awesomers.com podcast series. If you haven't joined it, please go subscribe. If you have joined and you haven't left a review, um, you are now my mortal enemy. No, just kidding. I would appreciate reviews. Uh, even if you think it sucks, that's okay. I just want to know if the juice is worth the squeeze. So thanks again, everybody. Uh, thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Becky, and everybody out there. I appreciate what you guys do. You know I love entrepreneurs, so that's how we, that's how we got into this mess to begin with. Thank you, Jane. See you later, everybody. Catalyst 88 was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Well, there you have it, another Backtalk Live episode. And, uh, you know, we, we talk, call it a Backtalk Live just because it's it's more fun to, to say that and give the audience a chance to interact and, and be a part of the show. And, you know, it's a very unique opportunity for you to not just hear what other people are thinking about and hear some of the news items and, and so forth that we think are important, but also the chance for you to personally get involved and ask questions. Uh, there, you don't have to buy anything. You don't have to pay any money for this. It's something that is free. It's you know relatively unbiased. I have my own biases when I'm answering your questions, but they're based on experience. And so, I, I'm not holding back or trying to you know tell you, oh, well, I'll tell you the answer if you send me a check. I will give you the honest truth as I see it. Whether I'm right or wrong, that's a uh, that's another coat of pain and up to somebody else to decide. But it's certainly, I give you the most truthful answers I can based on how I understand your situation and your question, as well as uh, applying that uh, question and situation to my own past experiences. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. I really do encourage you, again, to go to the awesomers.com Facebook page. Hey, you can leave us a review there. You can leave us a review on iTunes. And you can also join the awesomers.com Amazon Professional Sellers Group to get involved on a more regular basis and help each other, help the community. That's part of paying it forward and, and being a good citizen. So I hope you guys will consider doing that, and we'll see you again very, very soon. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers Podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Osmers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again.